When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I'm sailing away. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And guys, I thought today we could talk about solar sails. We've mentioned them a few times in past episodes, and uh, we'll probably talk about them in future episodes too. But the reason why I specifically wanted to bring it up is because not too long ago in the news, uh, we're recording this in June of 2015, there was a story about a crowdfunded solar sail project. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the episode. But in order for that conversation to even make sense... We need to just kind of talk about what these things are in general and what their purpose is. Now, were solar sails the vessels that Sailor Moon and the other Sailor Scouts sailed? I don't know because Lauren had not gotten that far into the explanation of what Sailor Moon is all about for us. Can you help us out here, Lauren? Um, I believe they are not, although I'm sure the magical cats 
uh, Luna and Artemis are very fine sailors. We we honestly were having Lauren explain to us what Sailor Moon is all about <laughs> uh, earlier. So so yeah, that's just a peek in the inner workings of forward thinking. But of course, solar sails are not a component of a cartoon. They are a reality. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's a propulsion system that doesn't require fuel. Now, we just recently on this podcast talked about a supposed propulsion system that doesn't require fuel in our podcast on the M drive. Right, and the, the microwave oven that makes rockets go. Well, yeah, supposedly. Yeah. No, no, makes a vessel go without the need for rockets. That's true. And, yes. and the appeal of the M drive, um, as it is supposed to work. Now, we ended that podcast with a lot of hesitation about whether something like this could actually work. But, right. But if you take the M drive proponents at their word, what they're saying happens is they've got a method for making a spaceship go through space without a chemical reaction shooting stuff out the back of it. Right. Without any kind of propellant. Does. Yeah. Yeah, and and the reason why that's important, obviously, is that you can't carry an infinite amount of fuel on your spacecraft, right? You 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 are limited by the volume of whatever vessel you have, and the reality that fuel is a three dimensional thing that you have to lug around, right? Yeah, and that it adds weight to the spacecraft, which means the more weight you add, the more fuel you need in order to escape the gravitational pull of the Earth. Uh, I mean, and then once you're out into space, then you need more fuel to get to where you're going to accelerate to whatever the, the you know, top speed is. You, you can only accelerate so much with fuel. Of course, if you had some sort of system that could gather fuel while you were sailing through space, then that would help solve it. And, and there are ideas like that. You sure. can uh, you can travel along through space picking up tiny particles and ions and, and heaving those out the back of a spacecraft. There's not much mass in those, so you don't get a lot of acceleration. But slowly over time, you can build up speed with a method like that. And sure. another method similar is solar sails in that it's, again, one, something that has a steady but but low acceleration. Right. So you're you're consistently accelerating at least until you get to really kind of the top speed of whatever mass you are you are using. Uh but you are accelerating steadily up to that point. It's just that it's a low level of of acceleration and the reason why we call them solar sails is that they're very similar uh, at least in concept, to the sails that we use here on Earth to propel things like boats and ships. Uh, right, which are, I suppose, technically fueled by the sun because the sun heats the Earth, which makes the wind blow. That's true. Yeah, if we go far enough back, it is it is a kind of a solar-powered means of propulsion. But surely you're not suggesting that there is wind in space. Uh, well, it's similar uh, in, to wind in space. We're specifically talking about photons in the case of solar sails. But before I get too far, I do want to make one distinction clear for any of our sailing friends out there. It's more a solar sail is more like a, a an earth sail if you were sailing directly downwind. Uh, this is an important distinction because sails can actually be used to sail sort of into the wind, which seems counterintuitive, but it's because the construction of sails is such that they act kind of like an airplane wing does. Uh, so you can Fancy. actually, yeah, yeah. You, otherwise, you could only go 
in the same direction that the wind is blowing, which would not be terribly that useful. Would, that would be inconvenient. Yeah. I've actually always wondered about that. I have no idea how that works. It's very much like a like an airplane wing. It's designed so that the airflow is different across one surface than the other, and it's it's similar to generating lift, except you're generating thrust essentially. Uh, so solar sails are more like if you're sailing directly downwind, you're catching the wind to push you forward. In this case, a solar sail is capturing or or is acting as kind of a surface for photons to bounce off of. And photons, as we have talked about many times on this show, are particles of light. Sure, a photon is a a quantum of light. It's the smallest indivisible unit of light energy uh, that transfers the electromagnetic force throughout the universe. So, yeah, the sun is, of course, putting out lots of photons all the time, Mm -hmm. shining them out into the universe. That shining is, of course, electromagnetic radiation. Mm -hmm. And it turns out you can use that shining, the sunshine, the electromagnetic radiation coming off of the sun to push a sail in the same way the wind would push a sail on Earth. But that's kind of weird because the wind that pushes a sail on Earth is made up of particles of air, it's gas, it's massive particles, and it's very easy to see how that imparts a force, how that gives momentum to the craft that's attached to the sail. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right, because yet again, the air that we are breathing is not uh, open, empty space, it's soup. Right. Yeah. But if you remember from like a high school physics class, what is momentum? There's that equation P equals MV. So that will tell you that momentum is mass times velocity. So right. you take the, you know, the mass of the wind hitting the sail and how fast it's hitting the sail on and, that vector. Right. That's important. I was about the direction, to, yeah, I was about to throw yeah. in the direction, but you, you covered it exactly. Velocity is, is a, is a, a vector and that you need both a, uh, magnitude and a direction for that particular uh, measurement. But yes, exactly. You take that mass, you take the velocity, you multiply them together, you get the momentum. This is sort of a way of describing the movement energy of uh, a, an object in motion. And with massive objects, that makes it pretty simple to understand. You know, you think, oh, uh, if I'm running at a speed of eight miles per hour, I have a certain amount of momentum. It's going to take a certain amount of energy to stop me because of the the energy that I, I that, that represents. If a semi truck is traveling at eight miles per hour, it's going to need more energy to stop it because it is a much more massive object. Oh, right. And in the stopping of it, it's going to transfer some of that momentum to the object of stopping. Yeah. So if you if you have something that is has less uh potential force there then you probably aren't going to stop the semi-truck, but you will definitely alter the stopping whatever it was, like a wall or fence. Yeah, but photons, the makeup of the sunshine, don't have any mass. They yeah, don't they have a rest mass semi-trucks. or invariant yeah. mass. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so this makes it a little tricky because you would think, well, we just talked about how that that uh, equation is mass times velocity. So how could a photon that has no mass transfer momentum? I mean, momentum depends on mass, right? Yeah, but one way I've seen of explaining this is to say that momentum isn't really fundamentally mass times velocity. That's just sort of the Newtonian level shortcut for describing how things work. 
And and it makes sense because for most of us, that's I mean, that's the world we live in. Oh, right? sure. In the macro level or at the macro level, rather, uh, if we're going to use prepositions correctly, which we are, <laughs> uh, that that's completely valid. But photons are are in that strange little little less than big category. <laughs> yeah, we're talking <laughs> quantum level on there. Yeah, so you could look at this in terms of quantum mechanics or in terms of relativity, but either way, what this works out to is that the energy of a photon sort of plays the role of mass that we would usually think about in this equation. And Einstein pointed this out, right? There's the famous equation, E equals mc squared. This tells you the relationship between energy and mass. So a small amount of mass is equivalent to an enormous amount of energy because you're multiplying it times the constant of the speed of light squared. Well, that also means that mass is equal to energy divided by c squared. You know, you just change around the the mm-hmm. uh, the equation there. So that photon, that representation of a of an amount of energy of light is equivalent to a certain amount of mass. It's just a very small amount of mass, but that small amount of mass doesn't that you know the fact that it's small doesn't really matter because of two big things really one is that in space you don't have gravity to work against so uh any amount of momentum transferred to the solar sail is going to have some effect mm-hmm. the the solar sail is going to and whatever's attached to it is going to move in the opposite or or is going to move in the same direction as the impact secondly it's not like it's a single photon that's hitting the solar sail. There are lots of photons hitting the solar sail. They're doing so at the speed of light. Uh, so you are getting a transfer of momentum in that way. Light itself can have momentum, as can other types of electromagnetic radiation. So it's kind of exciting. So each individual photon imparts only a very slight amount of momentum, mm-hmm. but there's enough of them that you can build up a traveling force over time. Right. And the amount of momentum possessed by any individual photon is dependent upon that photon's wavelength and frequency. So if you were to take a photon's frequency and its wavelength and multiply them together, the uh, product would be the speed of light. Yeah. All right. So in other words, uh, if you have a longer wavelength of light, it's going to have a lower frequency. Th- those two have to change, right? Because yeah. the end product has to be the speed of light. With a photon, if you know one of these variables, you know the other one. Right. So higher frequencies have shorter wavelengths, and they also have higher energy levels. So a high-frequency, short-wavelength photon has more energy than one that has a lower frequency but longer wavelength. Uh, That's important as well. And uh, there's an astrophysicist that actually, Joe, you uh, had had clued me in on that I, I had read some of his work before but didn't know him by name. And his explanations of this sort of stuff really made it a lot easier to understand. Uh, yeah, his name's Ethan Siegel. He's one of my favorite science bloggers on the Internet. He's on Twitter as at starts with a bang. He's really worth reading. And he also, for me, has made a lot of sort of astrophysics concepts much easier to grasp. Yeah. And he's also he's also kind of an eccentric guy. And I, I dig that. It's pretty weird awesome. Viking pictures. Yes, he yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> like his Twitter handle, he's got horns coming out of his head and stuff. It's pretty, pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. So now we've we've got up the the physics behind why solar sails could work as a means of uh, propelling a spacecraft without using any actual fuel. Uh, now to actually take advantage of it, 
you have to build your spacecraft in a very strategic way. You want to minimize the amount of mass you're using so that the uh, propulsion from the, the, the solar energy is maximized because the, the more massive it is, the more solar energy you're going to need to, you know, it's going to, it's going to accelerate slower and slower or as the mass increases, the, the rate of acceleration is lower. So it takes longer to accelerate to those incredible speeds. Uh, right. Same principle as if you have a heavier car, it takes more gas to move it. Right. Yeah. 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 Very similar to that. You also want the largest possible surface on which the sun can push. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't do you much good if your solar sail is, you know, a couple of square inches, then it's not going to capture enough photons for that to really be worthwhile. So you want a lot of surface area uh, and not a lot of mass. So that also means that whatever material you're using, you want it to be super thin. Uh, it tends to be reflective. So the photons hit it, they bounce off and the momentum is transferred to the solar sail, which in turn transfers that momentum to the spacecraft itself. Uh, now, this acceleration, like we said, is small, but and it is continuous. So the longer the spacecraft is capturing the solar energy, the faster it is moving. The, it's accelerating slowly over time, but it keeps going until you've reached the maximum speed that spacecraft can go according to its uh, uh, mass, or you are no longer able to capture a significant amount of photons to continue accelerating. But either way, at that point, you're traveling at an incredible incredible speed, and you're not going to slow down uh, unless you encounter something that makes you slow down. Like an asteroid. Yeah, or a planet or a moon or something that has a gravitational effect on your spacecraft. Or smacks into you. Right. Or, you know, those jerk aliens. Oh, yeah. I hate the jerk aliens. They're always clinging on to stuff. Much prefer rotisserie. Oh, nice. Sorry. Okay, so moving on, typically this super thin solar sail is only a few microns thick. Uh, so to get an idea of how thin we're talking about, if you get a plastic bag from a grocery store, you know, your typical thin plastic bag, those tend to be twice as thick or more than twice as thick as the solar sail material. So this is really thin, delicate stuff. Yeah. Uh, that material is typically a polymer film that's capable of withstanding the high temperature fluctuations of space because it can be pretty chilly and it can also be pretty warm depending on how much radiation is hitting you at the time. Hmm. Some researchers have also investigated using carbon fiber woven to be, you know, hundreds of times thicker than these films would be, but just as light due to their structure, their holy, holy structure. Yeah. Holy as in lots of holes in it. Yes. Yes. You really can't say holy twice without saying it thrice. Holy, holy, so, holy. Right. Let's hear mm. it again. Holy, holy, holy structure. <laughs> um. That's my high church of technology talking. That's Aww. fair. That's Thank fair. you. Thank you. So if you're wondering what kind of fantastic speeds we're actually talking about, well, Planetary Society co-founder Lou Friedman once told the UK's Royal Society of Chemistry, uh, by once I mean back in 2009, that the contemporary technology should allow acceleration rates of about 0. 0.0005 meters per second. Wow. All right. So what's that in miles per hour? That's 0. 0.01 miles per hour. Now, this is the acceleration rate. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, of course, given a probable size of sail and weight of vehicle that you would expect to be launching, like the kind of things that they were thinking about in 2009. Wow. Which we will get into a little bit later here. Um, 
to to get that up to a sort of range that's a little bit more understandable over the course of the of a day that's about 160 kilometers per hour aka about 100 miles per hour mm-hmm. and that means that in a year it could hit something like 58,000 kilometers per hour or 36,000 miles per hour which is something like 3 times the speed of our current interplanetary missions that's that's you now that's incredible because again just through the fact that it is continuously accelerating it's able to hit these speeds and sure it takes a long time to hit those amazing speeds but it can and it doesn't require the use of fuel that's right. why it's so attractive now what would you actually be using these solar sails for i mean what would it be propelling obviously uh you know we're we're not necessarily talking about manned missions here where we'd have people uh, aboard a uh, some form of of uh transport and using solar sails to move that's a possibility but it's not necessarily what they'd be used for well they have very few moving parts because you really just need to be able to um, deploy the solar sail. Right, unfurl the sail. Yep, and and, and then you end up there. There needs to be some means of controlling the the attitude, the 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 tilt. position. Yeah, the position of the spacecraft in relation to whatever source of photons you're talking about. You need that as well. But apart from that, you're you're pretty much set. So they're great candidates for reuse. So instead of having to build a spacecraft for every single mission, you could have a solar sail craft that could potentially be used multiple times before ever needing to be replaced. So they'd make really great delivery or cargo vehicles in this way. I've seen one of the big ones, uh, one of the big use cases that's been put forward is it could be used to deliver cargo and supplies to Mars. Now, you wouldn't have a solar sail spacecraft land on Mars. That would not be good for anybody there. Uh, but what you could do is have it fly by Mars and do essentially a, a controlled drop of cargo. Uh, or it could rendezvous with other spacecraft, like a space station that's in orbit around Mars. You could have uh, a rendezvous where cargo gets transferred and then the solar sail is redirected and sent back to Earth. It could be kind of a taxi vehicle. Yeah. Uh, another <laughs> – another Interplanetary Uber. It could be, yeah. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see an app for that in the next five years. But uh, the next application would be possibly to create an early warning system for space weather. Uh, this would be really useful. Solar weather happens. I mean, you, you probably are at least familiar with solar flares. Uh, they have the potential to disrupt electronics here on Earth. If it's a large enough solar flare, it can cause some uh, surges in things like power grids. And in fact, it can in- even cause an entire blackout of a region if it's powerful enough. There's also coronal mass ejections, which sometimes but not always accompany solar flares that can cause some problems. Uh, And we're not always aware of them until it's pretty late in the game. So if we were able to put spacecraft into different orbits than we can usually uh, achieve on our own, then with our other satellites and and other uh, probes, then we could have a more of a a complete look at what's going on with the sun at any given time. And then if we spot warning signs, we might be able to prepare ourselves in the event of a solar flare or coronal mass ejection that could potentially cause havoc here on Earth. It might mean being able to balance loads or reduce loads on our electrical grids to reduce the, the potential damage that could happen. It's really important. And it's something that a lot of people have been pushing for for a while, saying, 
you know, it's just a matter of time before there's uh, a big solar flare up that could at least temporarily cause real problems for us here on Earth. Yeah, or we're due. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the and these weather patterns happen in cycles. Now, just because they happen in cycles doesn't mean that every 11 years we're going to get a massive solar flare that's going to wipe out, you know, Detroit or something. It's that's not what it means, but it does mean that the there are periods of increased activity and then there are periods of a lull of activity. But this sort of spacecraft, a, a solar sail spacecraft that could go into these eccentric orbits that normally we wouldn't be able to achieve, could at least give us a a heads up when that sort of thing might happen. You know, what could be even better is if we made one that was really big, just big enough to completely block the sun from the <laughs> Earth, and then we'd never have to worry about so a solar flare. So you're taking the Mr. Burns approach, <laughs> I see. I always liked something about him. Yeah, excellent. So uh, it could also be used to propel spacecraft through interstellar space. Uh, not necessarily carrying humans, but maybe. Who knows? By the time we get to the point where we're seriously talking about interstellar travel, it might be one of the uh, more approved of ways of doing that. Um, but what you would typically do, would you would have your spacecraft do a run near the sun so it could get a good boost of energy and then uh, accelerate as it moves outward to escape the solar system. Uh, eventually you would get to a point where you would have fewer photons hit the solar sail. So you wouldn't really receive the acceleration that you had when you first passed by the sun. But by that point, you're already traveling at this insane speed. Mm -hmm. So it would be probably one of the more viable means of propelling a spacecraft outside the solar system uh, in a you know reasonable time frame. By reasonable, I'm still talking... A long, long time, you know, not necessarily something like, oh, within within a year and a half, we'll be out of the solar system. That Yeah, but but more reasonable than the generations upon generations yeah. that it would currently take you to right. get out. Right. Doing like little slingshots around various planets and stuff. Um, so also it might be used to help protect us against collisions from space rocks. Like like giant asteroids. I've actually read about this method. Yeah. So the idea is. If you have an asteroid mm -hmm. on a collision course with Earth, mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to destroy the asteroid to protect the Earth. You just have to divert its path. Yeah. In fact, destroying the asteroid might be not as productive in the sense that now you've got a whole bunch of little asteroids aiming at Earth instead of a big one. In the words of some random guy from the movie Independence Day, you risk turning one dangerous falling rock into many. Yeah. <laughs> I think Phil Plate has referred to it as as you turn you turn a slug into a, a blast of shotgun pellets, um, and and so the idea would be you attach a solar sail to this. Well, first you have to detect it, right? You detect right. that there is an uh, a body that is on a potential collision course with mm -hmm. Earth. Although, hey, uh, having erratic satellites up there might help with detection That's of that true. kind of having, thing. That's true, having the enormous solar sail satellites to mm -hmm. kind of detect that sort of stuff. Plus, mm -hmm. we've got really sophisticated uh, telescopes these days that can detect yes. stuff from much further away than we did before. Then what you would want to do is send up a spacecraft that could uh, attach itself to the asteroid and deploy a solar sail and use that, that momentum from the photons to help pull the asteroid off course. And it doesn't have to be that far 
assuming you catch it far enough away right. from the Earth. Right, yeah. So the idea is you, you'd essentially make the sunward-facing side of the asteroid a huge mirror. Yeah. And then you'd hope that over time it gathers enough acceleration away from the sun via that huge mirror, the same principle as a solar sail, to make it miss the Earth. But like you were saying, Jonathan, this would only work if you had a very long lead time. Yeah. Because that acceleration based on the, the photon reflection is going to be pretty slow. Right. Yeah, you need to make sure that, you know, the earlier you are able to deploy this, the better your chances are of of diverting the pathway so that you no longer have to worry about a collision. Uh, but again, it, it's it when you think about it, it really does make sense. Like, if I'm standing two feet away from you, uh, and I have uh, a water a water pistol in my hand, and then I move my my hand just a little bit to the left or right. I'm still going to hit you because I'm two feet away from you. But let's say that this water pistol can shoot water across a football field. First of all, you're not going to want me to shoot you from two feet away. But let's say I'm, I'm I'm across the football field from you, and I move my hand that same distance. Because of the distances involved, obviously the the trajectory of it, the water it's going to yeah. totally miss you. You know, not taking wind into account, which I never do anyway. So, uh, yeah, th that's the same basic idea from this potential use case. So let's talk about some solar sail projects, because this is not science fiction. This is actual technology that has already been used. Well, yeah. it's yeah, it's not even science. Maybe one day it's it's science a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first one. OK, well, the first one was not supposed to be the first one if things had worked out properly. But what ended up being the first solar sail uh, spacecraft that actually worked was the Icarus space probe, which uh, was not Icarus. No, Icarus. I-K-A-R-O-S. Uh, so this was in June of 2010. So this was just a few months before another solar sail test craft was launched by NASA. Uh, it was launched by the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, or JAXA. And Icarus is actually an acronym. It's not all capitalized. It's like some other acronyms that are no longer completely capitalized. But it stands for Interplanetary Kite Craft Accelerated by Radiation of the Sun. I wonder how many people had to think of the like the acronym that's, that's in that beautiful. case. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it was all meant to just demonstrate whether or not solar sails could, could really work. Why is the acronym in English? That is another excellent question to which I do not have an answer. Uh, I can give you a few more details about the craft, but I can't tell you what, eh. you know, why it's called that. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 not please do. interested. <laughs> okay, sorry. Well, no, hold for, on, for hold everyone on. who's not Joe. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the craft, All Jonathan. Right. Uh, so the sail itself was 46 feet wide, which is 14 meters. And uh, Icarus had a, LCD panels on the edges of the sail. And you might wonder, well, why, why would a solar sail have LCD panels? And it was all to control the reflectivity of the sails because that was how the spacecraft could adjust its attitude in space. Not like it had a bad attitude. I don't, I don't mean attitude in that sense, like mood. I'm talking about its position relative to the sun. Oh, okay. So this would be kind of like the boom on a sail on a sailboat where you can sort of like adjust its attitude toward the wind. Right. So in this case, you're adjusting the reflectivity of the sail or at least the edges of the sail. And that is what would cause 
the photons to either transfer more or less momentum to those edges, and that would adjust the attitude of the spacecraft, which I thought was a very elegant means of uh, of, of creating a control system. Um, so that was pretty cool. Now, the second one was the Nanosail D2, and that 2 is important. Uh, so this was one that was launched by NASA. You see, they, they had planned on launching the Nanosail D CubeSat. CubeSats are tiny little satellites. They're usually um, carried along with the payload of other larger satellites. Um, yeah, they're, they're only 10 centimeters square, and so they're really handy for doing stuff cheaply in space. Yeah, usually. On a small scale. It's all, they're often used as test craft for platforms for, for testing technology or they're used in, in various ways. A lot of crowdfunded science uses these sort of uh, cube satellites for various means. They're really cool. Uh, now in this case, uh, there was going to be a launch in 2008. So this, that would have been the first solar sail launched. Uh, and so NASA would have been the, the first to ever do it. But the satellite was lost during the launch. So they were unable. Like, like, where did we put the satellite? It was right here next to my keys. Like that, but more explosive-y. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. So okay. Nanosail D2 <laughs> was, uh, but that one was a success. So that one happened in 2010, but it did happen just a few months after uh, the Icarus solar sail uh, satellite went up. This one was a 100 square foot or 9.3 square meter solar sail, and it was attached to a small satellite, uh, also meant as a proof of concept. And it orbited the Earth for 240 days and then re-entered the Earth's atmosphere and, uh, and burned up on the Burned re-entry. right up. Yeah, it was not, was not designed to come back in one piece, mm-hmm. but was meant to just be sort of a proof of concept to, to prove that the technology to deploy the sail would work, that the sail would operate as expected, that sort of thing. Sure, yeah. Um, but I had heard a while back that there was supposed to be uh, something launching from NASA this year. Yeah, that was the Sun Jammer. Uh, it was supposed to launch this year. It was supposed to be this enormous solar sail. This was going to be the next big step. The one saying, here's going, this is going to be a propulsion uh, technology for the future. And this is our serious show of what it can do. Uh, it was to have a nearly 13,000 square foot sail. That's 1200 square meters. So much bigger than the previous ones. Uh, but. It was actually scrapped last year in 2014. Uh, NASA said that they had, quote, a lack of confidence in its contractor's ability to deliver, end quote. That's a quote from Space News, not from NASA itself. So in other words, they had partnered with a contractor to design the solar sail and over the course of the partnership realized that things were not coming together on schedule or on budget or both. And so in 2014, they said, we're not doing this anymore. And that pretty much ended the the quest to use solar sails for the near future in NASA, but not as it turns out for everybody. And that brings us to the light sail project. And our buddy, uh, the science guy, Bill Nye. Bill Nye? Yeah, Bill Nye the science guy. He built a solar sail? Well, he, he heads the group that built the solar sail or that oversaw the building of the solar sail. We'll just say he built it. 
fine. Uh, it was on an, one of those long lost episodes of Bill Nye the Science Guy. No, uh, so he built it, then he put it in a catapult, shot it across the room, and then showed us a replay in slow motion four or five times. <laughs> Slight misinformation from Joe, but here's what actually happened. So Bill Nye is the CEO of a group called the Planetary Society, which is a citizen funded. Uh, uh, group that's dedicated to really uh, promoting science and to performing uh, science experiments by involving citizens in various means. Uh, Right. It was co-founded by uh, Carl Sagan Mm -hmm. and Lou Friedman, who I mentioned earlier, and one other human person who I'm forgetting right now. But at any rate, it was it was, again, like great science communicators. And so, you know, Carl Sagan, an amazing science communicator, right? Uh, Bill Nye, also a great science communicator. So it's it's the continuation of that. And it's getting people involved uh, on various levels, including through crowdfunding. Um, so there are a couple of companies involved in this, right? Uh, yeah, the Stellar Exploration Incorporated and Ecliptic Enterprises, as well as a couple of universities, uh, California Polytechnic State University and also Georgia Tech. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Georgia Tech uh, designed the satellite that was uh used as sort of the casing for this particular solar sail. So the light sail itself is 344 square feet or 32 square meters. And that sail is composed of four triangles of aluminum reinforced mylar that are just 4.5 microns thick. Yeah, that's even thinner than the ones I was mentioning earlier, where like before I had seen five microns, like that was when solar sails were first being talked about. And now we're even developing material that's thinner than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, The whole thing is packaged in a, a three CubeSat configuration, which, which we just mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. And so it, it's only a couple of feet tall, all mm-hmm. things considered. Right. And so this was actually launched this year, 2015. Light sail went up. Uh, it was part of a payload. There were some issues when it was, you know, detached from the the rest of the payload. Um, yeah, there was this lovely glitch wherein, OK, so the team wanted to see whether or not the, the sail had properly unfurled. Mm-hmm. So they had light sail take a couple selfies. And the first one came back fine. The sail looked great. Everything was really cool. Uh, from the other side, the data that it sent back did not actually compile into an image. It, it compiled into nothing. It was gibberish. And then, then the light sail started transmitting this continuous stream of gibberish and simultaneously stopped responding to commands. I would like to think that was the moment that the light sail wanted to learn how to love. Right. I just thought about Event Horizon. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, it unfurled into another dimension. This is bad. Um, but no, no, that that is not as far as we can currently tell what happened. Right. Uh, they did manage eventually to reconnect with the light sail. There were, there were a lot of issues, but they ended up calling the entire mission a success because its purpose was simply to test the deployment of the light sail. It wasn't meant to actually use the light sail for propulsion. It was just to make sure that what they had designed would work. Mm -hmm. And so this sets us up for the next project. Now, if you're wondering what happened to the light sail, uh, it actually re-entered the Earth's atmosphere on June 15th, 2015 at approximately 1.23 p.m., and burned up. And some child saw a shooting star. Made a wish. 
that was not a shooting star. But that child. And made a wish that will never be granted. You don't know that. That child might end up becoming the first person to set foot on Mars, ah. which would be very poetic. But, uh, at any rate, the, this, this mission was all about setting a platform upon which further missions will be built. And the Planetary Society already has that in mind. They're going to launch another light sail in late 2016. Uh, and this one is actually going to go at an altitude high enough to deploy the sails and use it for propulsion. So this will go beyond just uh, the deployment phase to actually zipping around a little bit out in space, which yeah, is pretty exciting. Yeah. That, that's part of why the first light sail did not move anywhere, because it was in a low enough orbit that enough of the Earth's atmosphere was still in the way for it to really uh Move and get going. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was that would block whatever momentum it would have picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is the one that actually is going to be inside the satellite designed by Georgia Tech. But it's going to be a Prox One satellite. Ah, uh, yeah, they're going to launch it on a Falcon Heavy rocket from SpaceX, our old friends. And um, the the Prox One is going to deploy the light sail and then kind of follow along its path, providing data on its performance and taking some pictures and stuff like that. Uh, and it's possible that I'm just not properly understanding the press releases, but I think. It's going to be able to like automatically nudge the light sail around to keep it on its proper flight path. Yeah, so, so it's going to have some adjusting ability to mm-hmm. make sure that it uh, is Attitude able to control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. And if you happen to be listening to this podcast before Friday, June twenty sixth, which is my birthday. Oh, hey. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Um, you can fund LightSail on Kickstarter. Uh, we'll try to remember to link it on social, but I have complete faith in all of you to Google LightSail Kickstarter and figure it out. Yeah. So really exciting. Uh, potentially one of the new methods of zipping around outer space without having to worry about all that fuel, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, is a, is an amazing, uh, possibility. I don't know that light sails are going to be used for everything. And of course, they're very similar uh, to what we've co- what would be called a beam sailor. Beam sailors would be based on an almost identical principle, except instead of capturing photons from the sun, you would aim a beam of energy at the sail to move it along. So that's something that people have talked about possibly using. Yeah, uh, you could equip like a laser. Yeah. on one of these vehicles and and use it to blow air in its own sails essentially kind of yeah yeah or you could use one from directed from the ground or from a satellite or from a space station there are a lot of different potential uses of this uh so i'm really excited that we're seeing what could be the dawn of a new era of space exploration um you know it's it's Really exciting. And also to know that we could get directly involved by and by funding it or by joining organizations like the Planetary Society and uh, and and putting our stamp on that era of space exploration. That's really cool. So uh, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about this. It's it's one of those things that captures the imagination, uh, especially like I, I'm a huge fan of sailing here on Earth. So the thought I didn't know that about you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I actually uh, was helmsman for the oldest sailing vessel in the southeast a few years ago. Oh, wow. Hey, yeah, the Governor Stone. What? Um, yeah. I'll tell you guys about it later. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so this was a lot of fun to cover. If you guys have any suggestions for future topics, maybe it's another space-related topic, 
or, you know, one of our other favorite topics like 3D printing or robots, you can let us know, send us a message, or you just have a question or comment about the show. You can send us an email. That address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Twitter, Google Plus, or Facebook. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are fwthinking. At Facebook, just search fwthinking. It'll pop right up there in the search results. You can leave us a message there. And we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot slash iHeart.